Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. In this contributor episode, Sarah talks about why you should not overproduce an early prototype. Victoria and Alex talk about different conventions and how useful they are for self-publishers. And Matt talks about his experience at Gen Con this year. But before we get to that, I'd like to give you an update on the Board Game Workshop design contest. Submissions just opened up yesterday as of this recording, and you have until September 19th to get your round one submissions in. Round one is just a pitch video up to two minutes long, no more, and a 500 character description of your game. If you go check out the show notes, you can get all the details on that. We have 66 judges now and possibly a couple more joining in. We've got designers, publishers, developers, reviewers, all wonderful people that are helping out. And we even have Print and Play Games is a sponsor now, and they've added to the prize pool. So now each of the finalists is going to get a $20 off coupon at Print and Play to either help make their final prototype or just use for whatever they want. And first place prize is $100 cash, and then the four runners-up will get $25 cash. There's also going to be some random prize drawings for everyone who enters. So get to work on your submissions and go check out the rules. That's all I have for that. So on to the show. Hello, my name is Sarah Reed and I am co-designer of Project Dreamscape and Oaxaca Crafts of a Culture. Today I'm going to talk to you about something really important that I don't know that everyone thinks about, and that is making sure you don't overproduce your early prototypes. I know everybody wants their games, their prototypes to look fantastic, but as I have seen, making sure that the level of your development of the game that the art equals that. And here's a little anecdote. So I help run a local game design group. We meet once a month. And there's one designer that has a tendency to do an amazing job with the art and graphic design and makes them look wonderful, which is fantastic. Except when he tends to bring in games that have never been tested by anybody but himself. So there was one that he brought in and it just, it looked great. I'm like, wow, he must have worked really hard on, you know, working through the mechanisms and making sure gameplay is good. So this is going to be a really easy play test because we're probably just going to be, you know, tweaking things, making sure, you know, it's, it's, you know, not too long or, or whatever it is he's looking for. But I figured at that point he had already play tested a lot. No, this was the very first playtest, and it unfortunately kind of ruined the experience for all of the playtesters at the table, because the expectation was that it looked so good, it must be near final, you know, ready to be produced kind of game, but it wasn't. So... I tell you this because you definitely want to keep things simple. There's a lot of reasons and not just, you know, player expectation. When people sit down at a table and they see something that's either handwritten or it's mostly white blank space with just some icons. Like for me, my handwriting's terrible. I will not, if I can try to avoid it, I will not put a game in front of other people that has my scribbles all over it. 
I can't read it. I don't expect anyone else to. So I do produce all of our early prototypes on the computer, but I do it as simple and as quick as possible. I, I leave as much white space as possible in case I do need to do number changes or little tweaks or cross something out. I just go to like gameicons.net or the noun project. I download icons. I use icons for everything, even where art assets are supposed to go. I usually just do a giant icon so that people can see it across the table or whatnot. But you keep everything simple. And this indicates to your playtesters that this is an early design. And it is also makes it more open for any changes you might need to do on the fly. Also means that after your first play test, if you're like, well, I have to redo everything, there may still be something you can salvage, but it won't be as much work to continue, you know, going forward with it. So like I said, this is just a little anecdote. So think about that the next time you go. I think it's fantastic. Those who can do all their own art and all their own graphic design, it's a wonderful skill to have. Just make sure you don't overdo it on your early prototypes or your play testers are going to come at it with the with a wrong perspective on it well that's all i got for you today enjoy hi i'm alex (laughs) i'm victoria and this is our casual conversation about cons con chat no i think we're gonna say conversation oh that's a good one too I like this intro. We're going to keep this intro. No. (laughs) Okay, you can continue. Um, All right, so here at our conversation, Con Chat, we're going to be talking a little bit about different cons that we've been to in pursuit of self-publishing our game, Gladius. And we're going to be going over a bit of the structure of these cons, uh, some pros and cons, and basically help you decide which cons are worth your time and which cons maybe you should skip, depending on where you are in the design process, where you live, the cost, things like that, are all factors you should take into account when deciding whether or not you want to go to a con or not. The first con on our list is Metatopia. It takes place in Morristown, New Jersey. Metatopia is a designer-focused con, which means designers front a majority of the cost, and uh, they get to go set up their games, and they have sign-ups, and they'd specify what type of playtesters they'd like, how many playtesters they'd like, any special needs the playtesters may have. Then playtesters go at a reduced rate. They sign up for games that they think are interesting, and it is great for facilitating a lot of good playtest sessions along with focused playtest sessions that really focus on getting feedback for a young developing prototype. What did you think about Metatopia, Victoria? I think that Metatopia is definitely a con where it's more about the quality of the playtest that you have. So I would say that it's if you have a game that is in development and you're still looking for feedback, if you're looking to refine it, this is a great con because, like you mentioned before, Alex, they're about, I can't remember, was it four? I guess it depends on how many you sign up How many up slots, for. yeah. yeah was it? About four or five good playtest sessions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can sign up for multiple a day depending on the size of your game, the type mm-hmm. of your game. If you're running an RPG or maybe a LARP, things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, but we got about four or five good playtest sessions mm-hmm. in. And I think they were all really helpful. Yeah, and they were about two hours long just because the nature of our game, it's about 30, well, back then it was about 30 to 45 minutes. 
and then we had another 30 to 45 minutes to collect feedback from the play testers and I think the experience was very different because most of the time when you go to other conventions and you play test your games you might spend five to ten minutes trying to ask the play testers to give you some initial thoughts that they have but at Metatopia the play testers are really dedicated to prototypes for the most part and so they're willing to sit for a much longer time and brainstorm with you how to improve the game and I think that in addition to having people who are so dedicated to helping you figure out how to further fix or develop or improve your game it's a way that you might be able to get more connected fans so for example back then our game Gladius was in beta stage and so I don't think that the game could have been sold at that point Definitely but, we, not. <laughs> but we still we still had play testers who really enjoyed it and who liked our Facebook page who signed up for our email list and who still follow us today because they're interested in seeing where the game goes so I think that when it comes to trying to kickstart a game, it's not always about quantity. It's about finding who your audience is and finding people who can get really excited about your game. And Metatopia is a great way to find those people in a way. We are self-publishing our game. So we're really looking at this as what are the best cons mm -hmm. when you're trying to self-publish. Mm -hmm. But we also got a chance to talk to a couple of publishers mm -hmm. um, back when we were unsure if we were self-publishing or pitching the game mm -hmm. to a publisher. So it's also a good place to reach out and make those connections. Yeah, so we we had no idea what we were doing at that time, and the reason it was our first con was because we, we weren't sure if we should go, but I applied for the IGDN Metatopia sponsorship, and we won, and so we were able to go to the convention and our tickets were paid for, the hotel room was paid for, the flights were paid for, because they're trying to tap into new, diverse, emerging designers and welcome them to the community. So I thought that was really awesome. And then on top of that, there was a mentorship program involved. So when we went there, there was actually the IGDN, they were able to give me and the other sponsorship winners advice about how to play test, about how to run a game, about how to go about a Kickstarter campaign. So I think that's really awesome. But even if you go to Metatopia without winning that sponsorship, I think it's very worthwhile because we met so many cool people at that convention. Actually, more of the fun at Metatopia came from playing other designers' games because I think it really inspired us and helped motivate us and I think it gives yeah. us a lot of ideas for future games that and it we integrated could make. us into the community pretty yeah. well like it was mm -hmm. a great jump in the water and meet a bunch of designers and mm -hmm. people who are passionate about making games mm -hmm. playing games publishing games things like that yeah I I really didn't think that this would be the type of con where we would be up until 2 or 3 a.m. playtesting other people's games but we ended up doing that yeah, so Metatopia, mm -hmm. a lot of fun, would recommend. Mm -hmm. Our next conference that we're going to talk about that we went to is PAX Unplugged. That's a relatively new conference run by the mm -hmm. Penny Arcade people. They do, you know, PAX East, PAX West, PAX South, PAX Australia. This is their newest conference. This year will be the second time it's run, but mm -hmm. it's uh, in Philadelphia. And it's a really great conference. If you're familiar with the PAX format, most of the time it's about video games, but this time it's completely about board games. It's a pretty mid-sized con. There are vendors, there are panels, there are general areas where you can go and check out games to play. We went and we showed off our game at the 
the uh, we went to the unpub area, which was last year it was called the Alpha Build area. This year I think it's getting called something else. I don't know what it's going to be called yet, but it's run by Unpub. Yeah. So basically, while we were there, we got to show off our game, and I really enjoyed it. I thought、mm-hmm. it was a great con. It had a very friendly environment because it was a new con. A lot of the people who went to this conference were new gamers. Maybe、mm-hmm. they play video games, and this was their first exposure to board games, or they played board games before, and this was a deeper dive into the board game community. So a lot of the people there were really excited, really just happy to play anything.、Mm-hmm. They were all very friendly, and Pax has. This really great culture of diversity, inclusion, and anti-harassment. So you could really feel that kind of tone resonate、mm-hmm. throughout Pax Unplugged.、Mm-hmm. What did you think? Yeah, I think that Pax is really well known for throwing conferences where they have great branding, great management. Everything's really nice. It's very. I don't know what to call it exactly. It's like this Web 2.0, very like. Official, very professional vibe,、mm-hmm. and so I think that you know having a really well organized con is just great in terms of attendee experience. But also going as self publishers, it turned out to be a really great opportunity because their unpub area. And for those of you who don't know what unpub is, it's this organization that works with a lot of different conventions in order to have a prototype area for designers to showcase new games that are up and coming. But they also have their own unpub conference or convention every year in I think it's Maryland or Delaware that they usually have it where you can where you can demo your prototype games and get feedback and stuff like that. But the unpub area was popping. It was there were so many people going. To that area, and it's because it was so close to the expo hall, and it was also open after the expo hall was closed. And we were lucky because we had a table that was right there by the door. There was not a time that we were not demoing our game. I don't know what can be said about the people who had tables at the other parts of the room, but I felt like generally the the unpub room was the happening room of packs. Unplugged. It was basically like having a booth there,、mm-hmm. but without paying for a booth. Yeah, so that's really great. And then if you th- just if we do a cost breakdown, I know we didn't do this for Metatopia, but I'll try to remember the cost of that. But Pax Unplugged this year is sixty five dollars for a three day badge, and if you're able to get. An unpub spot. I think they let you have two, so you could probably have a Friday and a Friday morning and a Saturday morning, or a Saturday evening and a Sunday afternoon. But oftentimes, even if all of the even if all the spots fill up, you'll get some no shows, or they'll have extra tables. So you might be able to, even without signing up, be able to get a table because of no shows in the area. And sixty five, yeah, sixty five dollars per person. It's a pretty like, good pretty value. Free, yeah. yeah. That's really good value, and then also it's a really great con in general because、mm-hmm. last year was the first year. But we, I know we're self-publishing, but if you're also if you also have games that you're trying to pitch to publishers, they're pretty available because we met with a bunch at Pax Unplugged. Yeah, and we didn't even have meetings that we planned beforehand with them. I, I would go to their booth and say, "Can I pitch this game to you?" And they made time because Pax Unplugged is not like a Gen Con. It's not. That busy, so people were relatively free to 
meet with you. All right, so let's run through the next few uh, a little quicker. So Winter Play NYC Game Expo is mm -hmm. a, a local one-day event in New York. They do one uh, spring and winter, uh, and basically it's just uh, a couple of rooms in the Microsoft building in New York, and you mm -hmm. have a setup, and then people can come mm -hmm. in and play, test, and demo your game. Mm -hmm. What are your quick thoughts on it? I think that... I really love what the play crafting group does and I'm glad that this event was free but for us it was a little bit slow. It seemed more about a video, video game, game focused mm -hmm. event but to contrast that we also went to Too Many Games Expo in King of Prussia mm -hmm. and this was also a video game centered event mm -hmm. but it was better for us because people going there mm -hmm. did also and want to play board games. Yeah. Just as a background, too many too many games, they have a program, I can't remember what it's called, but they have an indie tabletop showcase. Maybe that's not the exact name, but something like that. But basically, if you apply for the showcase, they accept video games and they accept tabletop games. If you get in, you only have to pay 70 or $75 and you essentially get your own table booth area where you can run your game. So that's pretty good value. And I think it came with two badges and they also mention your name on the website. And what was great about it was we've, the only video game convention that we've ever been to uh, was PAX East. And I know you went to PAX West mm -hmm. and Too Many Games was very different because it was a small, not even regional, it's more of a state video game convention. But I think because it's more in the outskirts, not really near a city, it's in King of Prussia, which is an hour outside of Philadelphia, that people who are just interested in games were going to this Too Many Games Expo. And some of those people really like board games. And by having a table there, we were able to reach out to those people People who like board games and I don't want to say it's because they do well I know it sounds bad but they don't it seems as though when you go to a local con they don't get a lot of attention the way cities that have bigger cons or a lot of cons do and so the attendees are more appreciative and supportive of the games that do show up I definitely agree yeah but that's all the time we have for this segment. Uh, next time, we'll be talking about the bigger cons, Origins, Dice Tower Con, Gen Con. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. This is Matt Shoemaker with Hit Him With a Shoe. And as promised from last month, I'm going to talk to you all about Gen Con. So I'm recording this uh, just about one week after the exhibition hall closed, and I've certainly learned a lot. Um, if you remember, I exhibited at Gen Con this year, 2018. I had a booth for the very first time ever. I've been a regular attendee. I have been a trade day participant, a trade day presenter. Last year, I spoke at Gen Con as part of the 50th anniversary for, about history. That's part of the www.best50yearsingaming.com project that I did where we analyzed all 50 years worth of programs from Gen Con. I've been attending since 1992 and am generally just a big proponent of the convention. I'm telling you all that because I want to make sure when I'm telling you this, you know where I'm coming from. I would not consider myself a unbiased source when it comes to this convention. It's one of the reasons I got into gaming and why I'm now uh, doing what I am doing. 
and uh, it's part of the reason why I decided to do this convention as well. Now, other reasons why I decided to exhibit at Gen Con is that I would have been attending no matter what. I've been uh, going to Gen Con for, let me see, I've been to over 20 of them now, and I've gone consecutively since 2011. So even though I may not have been an exhibitor, I would have been at least attending this year. I also decided that I really wanted the life experience of having a booth at Gen Con. As I just went over a minute ago, I've done just about every other role you can at the convention. And I figured, you know what? I'm doing this game this year. I'm making a big push for it. So you know what? Let's see what it's like to be an exhibitor. So with that, what exactly was it like being an exhibitor at Gen Con? Well, first off, uh, I had a lot of assistance when I was there. I did not do this alone, and I highly recommend you don't do that. My family assisted. I had uh, both of my parents and one of my sisters drove down from Wisconsin. I myself flew in from Philadelphia, as well as I had two other friends fly out from Philadelphia to help with the booth. So that meant we had six people total that were helping us out here. I uh, really think that's a great number of people. I, uh, for reasons that I will get into later, don't think you should go with much fewer than that, if any fewer than that. So we arrived on Tuesday. Um, we all got in at roughly about 5 p.m. and uh, got down to the convention center. I went and picked up our badges. As an exhibitor, I had to pick up everybody's badges because they all came to me. So it was essentially will call, but all at the exhibitor's HQ rather than anybody getting anything shipped to them. Uh, just a note, if you're doing this on your own and you are still going to do events, you need to go get those event tickets at will call still. Those are not with your badges at Event HQ. I went and got our hotel room sorted. Uh, all six of us stayed in the same room in the JW Marriott. It was a tight fit, but I knew from past experience that even as an attendee, we wouldn't be doing much other than sleeping and storing our Gen Con halls or in the hotel room, so we figured that would be okay. Um, I and my sister were both on air mattresses, and everybody else was in the two beds that were there. We had time to unpack the car. Uh, the exhibitor hall was open up until 8 p.m. to get things situated, so we headed down there and started unloading things. Now, because I wasn't actually selling the game this year, I had very little that we needed to get out. Uh, in fact, almost our entire booth fit in the back of a um, four-door uh, sedan, basically. Um, so we got down there uh, a little before 7, um, went into the exhibitor space, which was extremely uncomfortable. It was very hot, very humid. Uh, everyone was just sweating. Unloaded the car and uh, just kind of dumped it in our booth space, which was in Entrepreneur's Alley, way up in the, uh, I guess that would be the northeast corner of the exhibition hall in booth 3058. Um, after that, I had to run quickly because I had an interview scheduled with Twist Gaming. Before the convention, I made sure to set up as much as I could with media and other influencers beforehand. Um, so I went and did that interview on Tuesday. I believe it was at 8 p.m., lasted about a half an hour. And then I went and um, met my uh, booth crew at the Ram for a pre-con dinner and drinks just to kind of enjoy everything before the madness set in on Wednesday. Um, so that was Tuesday and getting in. I definitely recommend getting in on Tuesday and not Wednesday. Um, it's just more relaxing, and believe me, you're going to want the time to relax. You don't want to be rushing around on Wednesday to be all harried, and then Thursday comes and you're just kind of a mess and already stressed out because the convention itself is going to stress you out even more. Um, so really take that time. Do some self-care. 
Um, make sure everyone working with you has time to get comfortable and not be too stressed out. All right, so Wednesday came, and um, the first thing I did was run out at uh, 9 a.m. and picked up con swag from the uh, official merchandise booth. We don't did this then for two reasons. One, the pin bazaar was this year, um, which I was participating in as a vendor, and I wanted to make sure that I grabbed uh, a couple of the starter sets, mainly because I knew they had only made a thousand of them. I didn't know how quickly they were going to go. This was also the only real time that I had to get out and do this and make sure I could um, get things in a timely fashion. As expected, there was a small line, but it was small and we made it through quickly. Um, picked up our gear and um, headed back to the room. I didn't know how busy I was going to be at the booth, so I just want to make sure this was taken care of. And I also, at 10 a.m., was giving a presentation at Trade Day where I did a workshop on designing board games for educational and general audiences. I mostly talked to K-12 through people there, participants. We had about 20 people show up. Um, but there were some other people from uh, the industry as well as uh, from higher ed that wanted to work through this workshop as well. So that workshop went for about two hours, so a little after noon, I wrapped up with it. I went in and helped finish setting up the booth. We had just about everything uh, set up. We had three small standing tables and one uh, larger eight-foot table for people to use, as well as four chairs. Now, just a little note on that. Um, when you sign up for a booth at Gen Con, um, everything costs money. It's extremely expensive to go through and uh, use fern exhibitors, which is who you need to use if you're going to get or rent anything from the exhibition hall itself. They do give you a little bit with your booth, and that is that eight-foot table. And they were only supposed to give us two chairs, but they ended up giving us four, which was great because we ended up using all four of them. They also give you a small cardboard trash can, uh, which they'll empty for you every night. But that's about it. Everything else... You need to provide on your own or rent from them, including electricity, um, carpeting, any of that stuff. So we set that up. We also had some um, mats for our feet since uh, otherwise it was on hard concrete and we didn't want to be standing on that for up to 10 hours a day. And uh, we just set that up. Uh, that afternoon, I had another scheduled interview, this time with the board game captain. Um, so I went and talked about Lives with him. Then uh, several of us went and got our lay of the land and kind of relaxed a little bit more, settling in for Thursday, kind of just wondering what to expect and kind of going over Gen Con as a whole as a group. Um, we went over uh, demos for how to teach the game the next day. Everyone that I had brought with me had played the game several times before and knew how to demo it, but we really wanted to nail getting a three to five minute kind of demo pitch going together. We also made sure all of our battery checks were charged. I had two iPads running in the booth, one to collect newsletter signups and the other playing a video that I had made um, that showed how to, um, not necessarily, it wasn't a how to play exactly, more of an overview um, of the game. It took about five minutes, um, but I wanted something there that not only would draw people in visually because it was a, a very attractive video, but also if they couldn't quite hear the demo or if maybe they were a little more shy or introverted or just didn't want to engage in a full-on demo, could watch it and get a feel for the game. Um, so that was Wednesday. Uh, we settled in probably around midnight-ish and went to sleep. 
everyone was excited. Uh, I will tell you that uh, midnight may seem like late to go to bed, especially since we wanted to get in the hall um, between 7 and 8 a.m. the next day. But you aren't probably going to sleep the night before the hall opens, at least the first time that you do this. I know none of us really slept very well, at least this night. Um, we slept much better the following nights. Um, but, you know, the excitement is there, and it's just going to be a difficult road to hoe that first day. So Thursday came, and we weren't really sure what to expect. Uh, you can get in the exhibit hall as early as 7 a.m. on the first day of Gen Con. Um, the rest of the days, you can only get in one hour before the hall opens. So your booth has to be set up and ready to go by 9 a.m., which is when the VIGs, the very important gamers, as well as media can come in. So I wanted to make sure that we were in there, everyone was comfortable, and people had their own strategy set up. Um, we got ready. I, uh, 9 o'clock came, and I let uh, all of my booth crew go out and do some shopping between 9 and 10 when the hall was pretty empty, and I just hung back at the booth in case some media came by. Again, we weren't selling anything except for Pin Bazaar pins, and there had been a lot of talk about that online beforehand. Nobody really knew quite how popular it was going to be. Um, so a little bit about that program. So it was brand new this year. It was the first time they were doing it. The pins cost $2.50 each. They had a recommended sale price of $10 a pin, and had a minimum buy-in of 250 so the, pro the program was very popular at Origins this year, so with that, I decided to up my order from the minimum of 250 to 350 and hopes to at least break even, which if I remember correctly, would have been about 90 pins I would have had to sell. So if I had done that at minimum, I'd be happy, but I was hoping to pay off some of the booth as well. So I knew there might be some people buying pins during the, um, the hour between 9 and 10, but I wasn't sure. Um, I wasn't sure if media was going to stop by either. That hour ended up being rather quiet. I had about four or five VIGs come by and buy some pins from me, um, but no media came down in that hour, and it was generally pretty quiet. My uh, booth crew started coming back at about 9.45, close to 10, and then we heard this giant roar and screams coming from the front of the exhibit hall, and this was where the doors had been opened, and they just kind of let the flood of 60,000 gamers come in to wash over us. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. We were way back in the hall, so it took about five to 10 minutes for everyone to get by to us in the uh, Exhibitors Avenue, or I'm sorry, the Entrepreneurs Avenue. And um, so it was a little quiet in the beginning, but by about 10, 15 or so, it was just nonstop demos and pin sales. We were just slammed. Um, I had, two people running demos in the front, and then I had one person on the register in the back um, to take pin sales, and um, we just had so many people coming in that we had problems getting some scheduled interview crew come in. I had an interview scheduled for 11 a.m., and uh, they had problems getting in and had to end up waiting about 10 minutes before they could actually wade through the people that wanted to try out um, BeLives, which was, you know, it's not a bad problem to have, but it was just um, kind of overwhelming to see just how crazy things had been. We had very few breaks that day. The fact that I had six people allowed us to get a few in, so I got some of my own shopping in and just you know getting out and walking along the hall so I didn't have to just stand in one spot the whole time and let my voice rest, which was great. Um, 
but still, I know I needed to be in the booth for the most part in case uh, other media came by, uh, which did happen. Um, so I couldn't, or I should say I didn't want to be away for too long. Uh, we did have a mat in the booth, but I do want to stress that this was extremely hard on the feet. Um, after the halfway point, about uh, five hours in on Thursday, uh, my feet were just extremely um, sore. And I mean, I'm saying this as someone who's been to Gen Con many times, you get several miles of walking in a day. Well, here it was all standing. I had good shoes and I had some good inserts and we had the mats, but even so my feet were extremely sore. So just be ready for that. Um, the day went by relatively quickly because as I said, it was, it was just nonstop demos. And um, by the time the hall closed at six, I think everyone was grateful, but also tired. I know personally, I didn't know how we were going to be able to do it the next three days. It was so busy and so slammed and so nonstop. I was just overwhelmed and exhausted. Um, I was very happy for how successful things it seemed to have been. But at the same time, you know, we had three more days of this to go. So uh, that evening I had scheduled just kind of a relaxing, what exactly say meeting, more like just, you know, drinks and dinner with an industry friend. So we did that. And then I kind of went back and just caught up with everyone at the booth in the hotel room. Um, we were up till about one in the morning and then ended up going to sleep. And I think everybody slept um, better that night, or at least, you know, they've got some sleep. Their minds didn't keep them up as much because their body was so physically exhausting. Um, that first day was the also the day we had the most pin sales on Thursday. Uh, we sold about 90 to 100 on a Thursday um, at $10 each. So we made our money back that first day on the pin. So anything else on top of that from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday was going to be gravy. So Friday, we got to sleep in a little bit because the hall didn't open until 10. Um, everyone was tired. I got in right around 9-ish, but most of the rest of my crew didn't show up until 9.45, um, some almost 10, which was something we fixed for the later half of the, of the weekend um, because they definitely need to get in there a little earlier than that. But that was just how exhausted everybody was. We had fewer pin sales on Friday, but the demos didn't let up. It was... Um, I don't know if we were just more used to it or if it was slightly lighter than Thursday's traffic, but it was still pretty much you'd do a demo and then before you'd even reset up for another, um, for the next demo, you'd have a group of one to four people there waiting to try out the game, which was great. Um, so we set that up and ran the whole day. Um, I met with some more industry friends that evening at six and I didn't get home until about 2 a.m. from, from um hanging out and discussing business and things with them. Um, well, that my booth crew kind of just went out, enjoyed dinner and relaxed themselves. So something to take away from this is that uh, you, the people that come with you may be able to take a more relaxing Gen Con, but you are going to be out and about and meeting and networking and talking with people till all hours of the night. There is just no way around that. And that's something you should definitely be doing at Gen Con. One of the biggest things you can do at these conventions is networking, making those industry connections, meeting influencers, people in the media who can assist you get your uh, game design out there, meeting with publishers if you're trying to get a game published, unlike myself who's doing self-publishing, and just working on all of those kind of connection building, making friends in the industry, and just you know, kind of getting more known and meeting with people. Um, and that's going to mean late nights, so just keep that in mind. 
on um, Saturday. It was much the same as Friday and Thursday. Um, we had about the same amount of foot traffic. Uh, there were fewer sales than Friday. Friday we sold, if I remember correctly, about 60 pins. Saturday we sold somewhere between 40 and 50. Um, but other than that, it was just as busy as um, Thursday and Friday even as far as demos go. That evening, I had set up a playtest with some industry friends of BeLives just to go through some things and work out some possible um, future kind of uh, connections and work on this game and others. Um, I brought my graphic designer, Helen Shoemaker, with me, who is also my sister. Um, and just to give you an idea of how stressful Gen Con is and how tiring it is, um, is that uh, she she was just starting to like kind of tear up partway through, not because she was sad or disappointed or anything like that, but she was just so stressed out from the convention. Um, it really does take a lot out of you. So we did our play test, and then that turned into about a four-hour discussion about Kickstarter and crowdfunding in general and um, all of the issues that come with it. And again, I did not get in and get to bed until after one in the morning. Um, everybody else was passed out by the time I got there. So Sunday came, and Sunday was by far the most relaxed day of the convention. I think we were just about done. I think the, uh, I mean, like emotionally and physically, we were just tired. And you could tell that was the case with all the other exhibitors too. Uh, it was definitely the most um, relaxed day as far as socially speaking as well. We actually had pauses between demos. Um, not every demo. Sometimes it would go straight from one demo to the next, but you'd get a five or ten minute break here once in a while. And when that would happen, you would chat with the other exhibitors, um, talk more leisurely with some of the attendees. It wasn't about getting through as many people as you possibly could on that day. Uh, we had even fewer pin sales. I think we sold somewhere between 30 and 40 on Sunday. Um, and the hall closed two hours earlier um, as well. So instead of closing at 6 like it normally did, it closed at 4 p.m. on Sunday. Also a lot of families around, which um, might have suited some games, but um, Be Lives is a like medium-heavy game. It's not really... I have played it with my nieces and nephews who are around 10, but it's really pushing their mental faculties. It's much more for, for young teenagers and up on the lower end of the category. So many of the families passed us by, which was okay, because frankly, I was exhausted and happy to have a more relaxed day. The hall closed down at 4. We had the booth apart within 30 minutes. And rather than um, deal with having to bring our car over and load it up and deal with a mustering yard, um, to get everything loaded into the back of the car. We just wheeled everything into our hotel room and left it there. So um, that's something I didn't really go over before. When you get to Gen Con, whether you're unloading your vehicle or loading your vehicle, you have to go what's called a mustering yard, where you get in there and you wait until they let you know that you can bring your car up, and then you bring it up to a dock, and then you can't unload your car until the person before you unloads their car or loads it back up. They only give you 30 minutes, in which case, if you're not done, you've got to move your car um, and let somebody else in and go back to the end of the queue. So on Sunday, the uh, they were the dock was open till 10 p.m., and we were warned it would be nuts. So we just decided, with the amount of stuff we had, since we didn't really have merchandise, we got on the pins, it just wasn't worth dealing with it, and just took it all back to our hotel room. So that might be something you want to think about or have someone ready to get dispatched to get into that mustering yard before 4 p.m. if you want to get out of there 
um, in any semblance of a decent hour. Afterwards, everyone was kind of punch drunk just on being happy with how well Gen Con went and um, with being done with the exhibition hall and just seeing the whole city kind of empty out. So we went out for a celebratory dinner and some drinks with everybody and um, just kind of regaled ourselves on the past um, five days that we were there. Monday came um, and it was pretty straightforward. We just got up, packed up and headed out. Uh, I flew out, my two friends flew out, and my family drove, drove home back to Wisconsin. So that was kind of the experience of what it was like to be there in a hole. Um, overall, uh, it was both emotionally and physically draining. It was um, extremely uh, successful. I'll get into some numbers in just a minute here. And it was... Um, something that I am definitely glad that I did and had that experience. And before I get into kind of the numbers of why I think Gen Con was a success for me and why I'm glad I did it, I do want to go down some numbers and costs. And while I'm going down these, I do want to remind you that, as I said at the very beginning of this segment, I was planning on coming to Gen Con no matter what this year. I've been coming since 2011 um, consecutively, um, so some of these costs I would have incurred no matter what. Um, but here's the breakdown. So the booth itself, and again, I was in Entrepreneur's Alley, was $1,000. Had I had a regular booth, it would have been about double that. So keep that in mind. The Entrepreneur's Alley or Avenue process uh, was competitive. I had to basically write what uh, equated to a small grant application um, to be accepted, which I was. I was always told how competitive it was and not to expect to get in, so I was very happy to find out that I did. In fact, it was part of the major reason that I decided to push um, and uh, self-publish BeLives this year was because I was accepted for Entrepreneur's Alley at Gen Con. There was also booth insurance. This was about $90 that had to be paid. Um, I could get this through Gen Con themselves, or rather through a, an insurer that Gen Con connected you with. If I didn't want to do that, I could have gone through a third party of my own choosing, as long as I met Gen Con's minimums, but I saw no reason to do that and just went with their insurer. I had to get some prototypes for the for the booth. Um, this ran me about $270 for the prototypes that we had. Um, this is gonna be different depending on what uh, game you have and uh, how expensive it is to produce. Um, all of my prototypes were made through the Game Crafter, and of course they were not final versions of the game. The next expensive thing was the hotel. Uh, we stayed for six nights at the JW Marriott, which unfortunately for us was one of the most, if not the most, expensive hotel in Indianapolis for Gen Con. Those six nights cost us $1,600. Um, I would have preferred to stay somewhere uh, less expensive, but by the time the exhibitors hotel lottery went, because the exhibitors do have a separate hotel lottery from general attendees, uh, that was the only connected hotel I could get. Uh, next were the badges. I ended up buying um, six total badges. Now, two of those came for free with the $1,000 booth cost. So I only had to buy four other badges for a total of $440 for those four, so $110 each. Food cost for everybody was roughly $30 a day. Um, we tended to eat one meal a day and then snacked on food that we had brought, whether it was trail mix, granola bars, what have you, for both breakfast and lunch, both for time reasons 
and just because we couldn't get away. Um, it would have been nicer to been able to have at least a lunch or a breakfast meal as well instead of just dinner, um, but that's the way it worked out this year. And again, I want to remind you, that was what it worked out with six people in the booth. That's how slammed we were. Um, we did take shifts periodically, but even with that, no one just really wanted to be away long enough, either because they had scheduled events, or in my case, I just didn't want to be away from the booth too long to take an hour, hour and a half out for lunch if I didn't have to. Um, personally, I had a flight I had to pay for from Philadelphia that cost me about $400. That was another expense. And then I had to buy everything for the booth. That was a banner, those three standing round tables, tablecloths, some booth decorations, um, things like that. That was about $200. I did some minimal advertising on Facebook where I just put up a little map to where you could find our booth. And then I, I um, just spent $18 on that. And so all of this came to, not counting food, $4,018. Food was about $1,000 extra, so that's $5,018 total for Gen Con. Now, that sounds like a very large number, but a couple things. First, I didn't pay this entire bill myself. Um, the people that came did split some of the costs with me. For instance, we each took a night of the hotel. So that hotel wasn't a full $1,600 for me. Instead, it was more around $310, $320, something like that. Second, a couple people bought their own badges, mainly my family members, which is very nice of them. Um, third, um, although I did buy a couple meals, I certainly didn't buy everybody's food every day. Um, and uh, finally, again, some of these costs I would have incurred anyway because I was coming to Gen Con. So if we look at just the booth-specific costs that I spent to be an exhibitor, um, that I wouldn't have spent if I was just coming as attendee. That total is $1,730. So that's basically the booth, the insurance, um, the prototypes, and some of the other things. So looking at it that way, it's a much more cost-effective solution. Um, if you're looking at paying for everything out of pocket and you weren't going to come to Gen Con no matter what, like I was, then you're looking at $5,000, which is a completely different um, spectrum of what you're going to pay for, especially if you were like me and we're only selling pins. So with that, what were some of the benefits? Uh, the first is that I did about a half a dozen video interviews and some quick written ones. I had about five of those video interviews scheduled before Gen Con, and then all the other interviews were just media that came up with interest. So that was good. Um, I highly recommend if you do this that you uh, keep a notepad, uh, make sure you get a card from them, give them a card, and make sure you know where they're going to post their, whether it's a video review or a written review. I still need to track some of the ones down that were done on BeLive. I'm not even sure they're all up yet, and that's something I'm going to do actually after I finish recording this tonight. The next benefit was that it was nonstop demos. Um, I can't really um, put a number to how many people we reached at um, Gen Con. I had two demo tables set up that were pretty much going nonstop. I had a third one sitting down by the cash register that was occasionally used. And if it was more accessible, I don't doubt that it would have been just as busy as the two in the front as well. Um, I ended up getting uh, about 6,000 business cards for Gen Con and I handed out probably close to 1,500 of them. 
most of those were taken by people of their own accord mid-demonstration. So looking at that number, that means there were between um, or close to 1,500 people that were interested in the game that I didn't even need to put a card in their hand. They liked the demo and what the game looked like so much that they grabbed it of their own accord and that I hope they will either come back when our Kickstarter launches in September or will go to the card now and sign up. A little more on the business card. I had some made up specifically for the show. All they had on it was on the front side a note that VLives is coming to Kickstarter soon with some of our cover art. And on the back, a URL to BeLivesGame.com, which currently goes to my newsletter sign up. And when the Kickstarter goes live, it will instead forward directly to our Kickstarter page. I also have our social media info on there as well for anyone who wants to follow us along. So that was great. The other thing, and what I was mainly pushing for at the con, was to increase our newsletter through direct signups. So we had one iPad there that was just for signing up, and we gave anyone who signed up, if they wanted one anyway, a honey stick. And we increased our newsletter by more than 150% just from people signing up the convention, which was great. That was a huge increase of number of people that were interested that are now going to be emailed the moment my Kickstarter goes live, which is great. Uh, I also increased my BGG followers of BeLives from 30 to 75. So that was a great increase in interest. And people on BGG who had the game listed as a want was, was before Gen Con in the low teens and uh, at, shortly after Gen Con in the mid 40s. So that was an increase as well. Um, one other metric you can look at, which was um, surprising to me, but I'm very welcome, was that we made it to number 26 on the BGG buzz list out of more than 600 games that were at Gen Con. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, um, Board Game Geek has a booth at these conventions, and they give attendees uh, who go up to them a small card with a specific code on them, and they basically like any games they have interest in. The more likes you get, the higher you are on the list. So again, I just want to point out we hit 26 out of those 600 games, which was amazing for a game that you could not buy at Gen Con, and that I wouldn't be surprised if several, if not many of these attendees had heard between little and nothing about prior to Gen Con. The other benefit, um, which I was kind of gambling on and I'm glad paid off, was the Pin Bazaar. I sold nearly $2,000 in pins. Now, granted, I spent about 900 to get those made, but that $1,100 then is going to kind of supplement the, uh, or I should say subsidize, really, the cost that I spent uh, attending Gen Con. So th that price, uh, that, that really paid off, and I do recommend you consider doing the pin bazaar if you ever go to Gen Con. I didn't end up needing those 350 pins, although I'm hoping I'll be able to sell the extra 100 or so that I have left at some upcoming events that I have before we do our Kickstarter. Um, but it was good enough that I definitely think it's worth doing. The, uh, the, the risk is fairly low. And if you have a good design, you'll do well. Um, I know, for instance, Norse Foundry had a D20 beholder for their pin, and they sold out by noon on, it was either Saturday or Friday. And that pin right now is selling on eBay if you go look for more than $100. Um, in the secondary market. 
So those pins are definitely something to look for. This was, the, again, the first year they did it. It may get more popular. It may dry up. I don't know, but it's something to at least consider, considering the cost of it. The other thing that was important is that we got copies of the game in the hands of influencers. I got one copy into somebody who's going to take it to the UK, so I didn't have to ship it out there. I got it in their hands. I got it in some other people who are going to review the game or preview the game um, and got to just talk to influencers about it in general. So that was great and something to do with many of the prototypes. So overall, do I think it was worth it? Yeah, I think it was. Um, but we're going to have to see when I launch the Kickstarter. I went over my metrics a little while ago. We have some tangible results, but ultimately those need to translate to backers. Um, I'm getting our Kickstarter page set up now since we're launching in just a little under a month. Um, and I just need to see if people are going to, you know, turn that enthusiasm they had in Gen Con, remember it from a month before, and then turn that into buying. This is one of the main reasons why I really wanted to stress getting people to sign up on the newsletter so I can get them in their inbox on the day we go live rather than relying on their own memories to have to do this. Um, speaking of which, I have some, um, I don't know if I would say doubts, but concerns on the business cards because I don't know how people are using them. Um, I've been tracking my MailChimp stats for signups and I've been, the conversion from business cards, or at least I assume that's what it's from, has been a lot slower. I've only been getting about three new signups per day um, from that BeLives game URL. So I'm guessing that's people that are going, checking that URL when they're going through their Gen Con loot and then signing up, but I could be wrong. Um, for all I know, 90% of those business cards are ending in the trash, never to be seen again. I hope that's not the case, but there's there's no real way to tell other than to see how successful we are when we launch. Uh, will I go back again to, to Gen Con? Well, that's going to depend on how this Kickstarter goes. Um, basically, I have until about the, I can't remember if it's the end of September or the end of October, to decide if I'm going to go back to Gen Con and get a booth before uh, any spot that I might have would be given away, or not given away, but sold to another company. Um, and it's just going to depend on how the Kickstarter goes. If we launch in September and we fund in the first 48 hours and things look huge, yeah, I might do it again. Um, everyone was selling many, many copies of their games, especially if they're brand new. Um, and that's something I might gamble on. Um, but I'm not going to know until um, we go live and see how things go. Um, also, as a reminder, and this will be true next year too, is that I was going to Gen Con no matter what. So the cost didn't hit me as hard as if I was only going to attend as if I was going to have a booth. Um, and that'll be true next year as well. Gen Con is a convention that I just love. Um, again, I've been going since I was 12 years old. Um, and as long as I can afford it and it works with my life circumstances, I will be attending that convention. So that, again, will make things a little easier next year. So some final notes. Um, conventions are always great for networking, so make sure you talk to people. Talk to the people who are your booth neighbors. Talk to influencers. Talk to other people in the industry. Make some friends in the business. At least get to know other people. Shake some hands, trade cards, do all of that. Um, one of the great things about this industry I've found so far is how supportive everyone is of each other. Everyone's been there, um, and they know how hard and stressful it can be, and the vast majority of people are very supportive of each other. The other thing is that I would really recommend having something to sell. The Pin Bazaar really helped us out and offset some costs, which is awesome. 
Plus, I do believe it was a draw to our booth to get people in, and it gave us something else to talk about while we were there. So uh, I was originally planning on not having anything to sell. I'm really glad we decided to gamble on the Pin Bazaar and that that went really well. Next thing is that uh, Gen Con is, of course, the monster of monster conventions in the United States. But no matter what convention you go to, you need to have help. You can't do this alone. It's just going to be way too big and way too busy, and you're going to need to get out of there and just relieve some stress and take care of yourselves, yourself. You're going to be exhausted. I've done a lot of Gen Cons, and this was by far the most exhausting one that I've had. Um, again, it's the first one I've been an exhibitor at, but I mean, usually when I go to Gen Con, I'm burning the candle at both ends as an attendee or a speaker or any of those things, and this was even more exhausting than those years. So keep that in mind. Bring help. Uh, so with that, I'm going to wrap up this segment. Uh, just a couple notes. Uh, the Kickstarter for Be Lives We Will Only Know Summer is going to begin on September 10th, so that's just under a month away. Please check us out. You can sign up to our newsletter at BeLivesGame.com. And of course, you can follow me at BeLivesGame on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want any other information, you can also check out our website at hitemwithashoe.com. That's E-M, not T-H-E-M. And until next time, this is Matt Shoemaker. Uh, have fun designing. I'd like to thank all of our Patreon supporters for helping support the show, especially our inventor-level supporter, Chris Turner. That's all for this episode. You can get the show notes for all episodes at theboardgameworkshop.com. Follow the show on Twitter at the BG Workshop. Join the show's Facebook group to discuss the episodes and support the show on Patreon at patreon.com/theboardgameworkshop. Thanks for listening. Oh.